worship. As we open our Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Father, we do truly ask for a fresh wind, a fresh fire today to fall upon us. Lord, that understanding by your spirit, empowerment to do what you reveal and ask through our relationship, through his presence, Lord, in us, upon us, that would be our heart this morning, that there would be no distractions, and that um, this morning, your voice alone, through intervention in our lives, from the distraction and the discouragement and the weight or the burden, Lord, would be lifted and, in fact, um, Lord, done away with, that we would leave here more what you've created us to be, individually and corporately, Lord, as a church, to reach a dead, a dying, uh, Lord, a dysfunctional world, and in every way to bring life. So help us, would you, by your spirit this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Titus chapter 3. We're going to finish up the book today. It is jam-packed. It has been this little letter, only three chapters that Paul has written to a young pastor in Crete, Titus, right, that he left there, as we learned back in chapter 1, to set things in order. And the things that he's putting in order were the things of the church. It was a fast time. It was the church began. They just got out of there. And now Paul is like, he's left Titus and says, look, you got to get, you got to ordain some elders here. You got to bring things together. And so we saw that happen, right? And then in chapter 2, that that idea of then the, the church being those ordained elders need to then teach the doctrines of God to help us, the congregation, to adorn ourselves with that beauty, with what that is to be believers. And that's what Pastor Austin brought so powerfully a couple weeks ago now it's been, right? In chapter 2. Because what we do here, as Ephesians chapter 4 points out, is the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. Well, ministry, once we walk out those doors, does begin in our home. You know, it, you know like, like I said, it's, it's very related to what's going on here with Pastor Austin now and Shannon welcoming their son, which now they will literally be training up in the ways that he should go, discipling, bringing that in the home. But then it's not just about staying at home, right? Now it's about then taking it out to go into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to follow the teachings of Christ, teaching them what that is, right? And, and, and that's basically how this book breaks down. The church order, the home order, and now the social order. What are we supposed to do as believers taking this out into the world, taking it to the streets? That song from back in my childhood, right? And so that's exactly what we're going to do. And so, you know, he left off and we left off, I guess, you know, last time at the end of chapter 2, where we were told in verses 14, I just want to read it because it kind of relates to, to our witness, right? It says that, you, you know, that, that well, let's see, uh, looking for the blessed hope, we'll start in verse 13, and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. So there's no reason why we have separation anymore from God in him. That we might, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify, ongoing process, for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. And your translation might say peculiar people. Now, as you know, as Austin pointed out, that is not a um, a call for weirdness, you know, although some people play that card. Um, but n- note that it's very specific as to why we are special or the mission of our specialness. It's to have zealousness for good works. That word zealous is hot. I'm on fire to do good works, to do g- works for the Lord. Speaking these things, exhorting, rebuking with all authority. Let no one despise you. So there Paul just telling Titus, look, keep on saying this. Make sure you're steering up the body. That it's not just about we gather together, you know, a couple times a week, but now we have to go out. We have to take this message into the streets. We have to be zealous for good works as the Lord has provided for us all things concerning life and godliness, right? Where we are completely equipped here. 
And so not a license for weirdness, but actually a, a license or a charge to do good works, right? And that's not natural for us. So that truly is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5.16 when he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not natural for me to go and want to do good things for other people. I want to do good things for me. I mean, it's about me, man, isn't it? It's all about self-gratification in the flesh. And so now by walking in the Spirit and having God's empowerment to me, I'm able to surrender that life that was so focused on my intent and focus it on his, you know, going out. And, and man, yes, absolutely, helping at church and getting that in order. Yes, absolutely, taking that home and making sure that my family is secure. I get to heaven and I find myself, hopefully, prayerfully, a good and faithful servant to the charge of being a husband, a father, a an overseer of my home that then goes out and has that be effective to the culture, to society. And we see how damaged our culture is. It's because our homes are so damaged. It, it's because the church has gotten away from believing in and not teaching the word of God. So you've got a whole culture of even churchgoers that they don't, know, they don't know how to handle life. They don't know what life's supposed to be like. They don't know what God's provided for them for life because they're getting friendly stories. They're getting, you know, clever, you know, tales that kind of weave a niceness into a message of somehow country club life where, you know, we get together just to have a good time with each other and it's a, it's a community gathering. Well... It's more than that. It's empowering. It's supposed to be empowering for us to go out and then change the culture that's around us, not by change, not be changed by it. So, right? So just keep that in mind as we start chapter 3, verse 1, because that's not where Titus is taking this. Church is ready. Home is ready. Now let's go out there and change the world ready, right? Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Woo! Like, back off. You know, no, he's being honest though. Do you remember what it was like? BC, before Christ, how we thought, how we ran, everything was about the self and, and, and how we could take, t- t- you know, take care of things. So he tells Titus right up, look, remind them of these things. And in the verb tense there, it is a keep on reminding. It's not that you come to church every week and hear the same story. It's you come to church every week because you need to be reminded because our flesh, we wake up every morning, right? Flesh. It wants to go relieve itself. It wants to be fed. It wants really 15 more minutes in bed. Hit that snooze button because I just don't want to get up today. It's flesh from the minute you open your eyes. So we have to regain. We have to be reminded and come back to that place of, no, wait, wait, wait. I'm a spirit-filled being. I am an eternal being, a believer now in Jesus Christ, and have been empowered to go out as his hands and feet into this world. Wow. What an exciting privilege, challenge, or dreaded responsibility. I mean, how do you look at it, right? Because that's going to depend on how you jump out of bed in the morning. But, you know, what he's saying right here basically takes us back to Romans chapter 13. It's the same idea that we as believers in Christ are supposed to be good citizens. We are supposed to be governed by and follow, submit to the authorities of the land, the authorities that we're under. Shouldn't be a surprise. And yet it's interesting living here in Montana and having those those fringe people, they're kind of living out off the grid, as they say, and will tell you that we don't have to pay taxes and you know we want to kind of get out from that civil order of things. And nah, that's not what we're supposed to be as believers, you know? We're not supposed to be anarchists or antagonists or antisocial 
Jesus has left us here that we might transform the world and draw people unto him, unto the Father. And so keep that in mind as, as you're charged daily to go out, right? And as you go out in your going, don't go violently, don't go aggressively, go prayerfully, spirit-filled, that in every way you are living a testimony unto him, because that's what he told the disciples, right, to hang out in Jerusalem until they received that power that they might be witnesses unto him in Jerusalem, Samaria, the uttermost parts, you know, going on. So watch that, because we want to always be witnesses unto the fact that we are ambassadors from another nation, well, from another kingdom, right? And as ambassadors, we're supposed to be representing our king. I don't, I don't see a lot of, even in America where you would have the right, I don't see a lot of ambassadors out there violently, you know, taking, taking land or, or trying to prove a point. No, they, they come over here to witness and to testify where they come from. That's what we're supposed to be. So, you know, I don't, I, I don't want you to get the idea that, well, then we're not supposed to do anything as believers and just kind of sit there and twiddle our thumbs and wait till this all plays out. No, we have, especially in this country, we have rights to take advantage of to making social change, right? You are responsible as a believer to vote. I'm not asking you if you did or if you thought about it, but I'm telling you, you are supposed to as a believer because you have in every right through biblical authority and understanding now to make changes in this country at least, which of course would change culture, which change society, which would affect the world. So we're responsible for that, right? You can write letters, you can sign petitions, you can have a voice to speak to authorities as it might be given to you. You can do all of that. Of course, first and foremost, though, again, a command from God, we're to be praying. We're to be praying for all rulers and governing authorities and those that are over us. So I know sometimes when we read stuff like this, we think, oh, that's the president. Man, but it also involves your employer. It also involves church authority. Whoever has that voice that speaks into your life, be praying for them. And according to the scriptures, walk your life out and be able to speak truth to them in any given situation where it's, it's relevant, where it's called for, right? Take that opportunity. We are to obey the laws of this land. It, that's absolutely what it's saying. And, and, and again, not get, not get strange about it. Now, just touching on that, because we do have a lot of uh, young people here that are going onto the mission field. We have a lot of people that are young that have been on the mission field. We got people that are old that have been on the mission field. So I'm just going to clarify, because what does it mean then to go to another nation, another country, and you stretch the rules, or you have to decide on what to do? Example, my oldest daughter, Leah, when she was 13 years old, she went to China on a mission trip to smuggle Bibles. Now, Leah was five, she was, she was, Five foot eleven inches, so she'll be she's like six foot tall and beautiful. So she played an executive with a briefcase really well, and could get. And she got through the the borders every time except once. She got taken in, and that was okay. They just kind of slapped her hand and let her go. But the idea that it's against the law to take Bibles into China, and she was doing it. Well, isn't that going against the law of the land? Yeah, it was. It was going against man's law of that land, now superseded by the fact that God, because she's an ambassador from his kingdom, was told to go into all nations. And by his spirit, she was called to go. And so she went and did what she knew was more of an eternal cause and purpose than what earthly restraints she had to, to follow. You remember the, the disciples dealt with that in Acts chapter 4. Right, and you, you got Peter and John, and they're being told not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore, and you know, don't be talking like that, don't be saying that stuff. And their response got it written down here, Acts chapter four, verse twenty. For we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. If it, it, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. So in other words, it's like, sorry. We, can, we, we, we can't help it. We've got a higher authority that governs our life 
and we need to do this. So that's where it comes down to. Now, as far as in this land, we, we have so far a land that we do have freedoms and liberties as believers in Jesus Christ and being able to meet together. And we don't, by any law of enforcement, have to worry about machines coming, machine guns coming busting in the door, although the social anarchy that we now live in in the Antichrist world, you never know. But as long as this country allows us to have a voice for Christ, we need to practice that. Now, the day they tell us not to, then that's the day, whether it be better to believe you or to follow God, you be the judge. All I know is I can't help but talk about what he's done in my life, what I've seen, what I've heard, right? And remember, when Titus is giving this charge to his church, which we can consider the congregant today that we're listening, right? This is uh, this was no easy place. Look, verse 12 says that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's the community he's living in, right? So this is the government he's dealing with. He's not calling his, his people to revolt, to take action, but he's telling them to go out and be witnesses. And that's supposed to be our call too, right? And not some passive, just kind of, you know, we're just sitting on the fence, but proactiveness in being what God has created us to be. And he really has. He's, he's created us for this purpose. And then he notes, too, not to speak evil of no one, no matter who's in power, no matter who you voted for, no matter what it looks like on the surface, don't speak evil for them. Of course, Paul tells us elsewhere that we are to be praying for them, right? That that's supposed to be a charge that we do. But in all ways, be peaceable, gentle, humble towards all men. So it, it doesn't matter particularly what they're doing or what they've done or how they've done it. It's who we are supposed to be as witnesses. This is what it always comes back to. You know, not taking matters into my own, own hands. And why does he, you know, specifically charge us like this? Is it because he says, don't forget, you guys were all once foolish too. You all had your times of being dark and in blindness and making decisions that were bad, that were stupid, and in fact, that were working against the cause of God. And yet he revealed himself to you. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody witnessed to you. You saw things that sparked interest and drew you to God by the actions and testimony of other people's lives. And that's what he's saying that we should be doing with ours. So I, I want you to do these same things. We were at one time disobedient. It means unpersuadable. You got people in your lives that you try to talk to Christ about and they just, I don't want to hear it. Now it's good for you, but that's your thing. I don't want to hear it, right? They seem unpersuadable, disobedient. Don't lose heart over those people. Remember, you were once them, right? Deceived. It means roaming and wandering from the truth. Now, unfortunately, I mean, the world is doing that, but what's really sad is when you see a believer who's walked in power and strength start to get drawn in and in bondage to sin once again and how stupid they then get, right? Because God is all about you making bad decisions that he might use those circumstances to bring you back to reality. You know, so, but, but we were all once deceived, serving lusts. You couldn't say no. You didn't have the power, right? Living in malice. That's ill will towards other people. Remember what it was like to get cut off? Bad driving in front of you, somebody else? Well, we should pray for them because we don't know what the emergency is in their life. No, that's not what you did, okay? You wanted to have James Bond's car all of a sudden and push the buttons that sent the missiles. Come on. All right, maybe it's just me. But I remember just wanting that, you know, ill will for somebody, envy. It specifically is speaking about a desiring and a jealousy of someone else because of their possessions. What they have, what they're getting, where they're going, and you're not. See, all these things are void of the sovereignty of God and the understanding of Scripture and who he's called and anointed and given power to over us and how we're supposed to interact with them rather than come against them, right? Hateful and hating. Man, how much hatefulness do we see in this country now on the news, right? And the word literally means loveless. 
You got to remember the world is loveless because they have never experienced being loved. Now, you know, I'm talking about agape love. I'm talking about the, the absolute assured testimony and and love of a father who sent his only begotten son to die for us that we might not only know him but be adopted into his family cleansed of our sins and and understand the freedom and the, and and, the, and now the newness of life apart from the old self we were they never experienced that so watch the witness right because and, and again, and Paul doesn't just leave it there. He he gives absolute reason why in verse four, where he says "but," which I always like. That's that once they're talking about evil, and then Paul says "but," it's always great because that's a sharp contrast to what we've just been talking about. How you used to be, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared, and that would be Jesus, right? Kindness and love, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, and in there is the reason why he can ask these things. I had somebody recently asked me like, well, we're supposed to do this and this, but I can't, and, and it's, it's not working. And I'm like, well, then do you really have a relationship with Christ? Because God hasn't called us to frustration. He's not just saying, all right, this is how I want you to be. This is what I want you to do. And uh, by the way, get it done for my glory and bear some fruit. I'll see you later. No, he's given us all of this by his Holy Spirit. No, notice it's the goodness and the kindness. Again, that's Jesus. There's love towards us, not by works of righteousness. Not by what you've done. It wasn't because we did something so right, so good. God, he said, finally, the kid's finally getting it. Now I can reveal myself to him. No. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 6 says this. But we are, we all are like unclean things. Mankind, we are unclean things. And all our righteousness, all of our, and remember, righteousness is just right, doing right. Right, right stuff, right? All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Filthy rags. Now, don't mean to offend. Scripture says it. You look it up. It means menstrual garment. Right? Disgusting. That's what our goodness looks like to God. Our righteousness. Now, apart from him, right? Because you're saying, wait, 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 wait. Paul just told us to be ready for good works when we're being, you know, following the, the laws and stuff. Is this like some kind of confusion and contradiction? No, not at all. It's, it's all conditional. It's are you on this side of the cross or on the saving side of the cross? Before Jesus Christ, everything we did was self-motivated and self-fulfilled. I'm not sure what to do. I don't know what to do, but I got this idea and that idea, and I'm going to do it because I think that works out best for me. It was all about me. It was grabbing desperately for any way I could make it work. Now, on this side of the cross, I have God's Holy Spirit within me who has redeemed, as he says there, bought out everything about me. It's not just that I'm not going to hell. I got fire insurance. It's that I got a call on my life. I get the privilege of walking with him and having him lead me and now what I do, led by his spirit, empowered by the calling and the giftings that he's given me, are all gaining me reward. See, what side am I on? What condition am I in? If I'm in Christ, then he has actually redeemed even those good things I did before that were not because I didn't know him. Somehow, man, he makes that all work. And I know that because I, rem I, re I, re I remember like trying and calling out to him and not being saved and then looking back and watching my whole life as it was woven in this path to get me here today and like lord you're amazing like you were totally in that mix you were in the good the bad and the ugly all the time because he knew because he's outside of time and he sees my whole life in front of him and he knows i know exactly where you're going and where you're going to end up he sees the finished pot 
right? We hear that all the time from our potter, our pastor, right? That that's how God looks at us. So that's what we have to keep in mind here. Now my motive is based on the love that I received. The, the gratitude of the gift of grace has borne in me a whole new submission to what the Holy Spirit now gifts and calls and directs my life to be and to do. Because he's dwelling in me. I'm alive. So that's why he says, like, it's, it's, it's life abundant that he's given us. That he's poured out abundantly to us. If you don't have life abundant, and I'm not saying prosperous life, I'm not saying everything's good in, in your life. You know, it, it's not a qualification, but it is life abundant. Like, you know that you know that you know God is in charge. And when it doesn't go right, the lesson that's to be learned and the victory that's to be won in it, you know he's in charge of also. Just as he is when, man, the, the, sun's, <laughs> the sun's shining and it's all going good. He's the same God. He's the same love. He's the same lover of my soul in taking care of me during those times, right? Now, again, we, we all know that we're saved by grace, through faith. That not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. You know, he, he's gift, by faith in Jesus Christ, he, by his grace, has given us salvation, right? But it says there that he saved us according to his mercy, now, mercy is a wonderful thing. We always want it when we mess up because mercy is not getting what you deserve. Justice is you get what you deserve. You know, it's like, all right, this is what you deserve, right? Grace is getting so much more than you could ever imagine despite what you should have gotten, right? And it, it's God's favor upon us. And so he's saying it's because of his mercy, though. And, and, and notice it's, it's his mercy, he has saved us through his Holy Spirit. He poured out on us his grace through his son. It's all his plan. You understand that God is the initiator of your salvation? You didn't just think of it one day. You're like, man, life's really a wreck. Maybe I should try that God thing. No, even if you thought about it that way, it's because God gave you the thought. You, you were wooed. You were drawn. You saw the witness and the testimony of somebody out there. And you said... Gosh, that, that looks better than what I'm getting here. And maybe you took a chance. But if you took that chance, you know today, as I did, it's real. He's real. And the salvation and the newness of life and the passing away of old things is absolute. We know that, man. But look, it's always been his way. And, and the way is the washing of the Holy Spirit. It, it wasn't about, you, you know, and this is what stumbles people so much of the time, that it is his plan and it's by the washing and regeneration and renewing of his Holy Spirit. It's not by the good stuff. It's not by being nice. That's what, that's what people get so angry about, the idea that there's nice people that are perishing in hell. Well, how is that possible? Because nice isn't a condition of getting into heaven. Holy is. Perfection is. Well, there's no way. There is a way, a truth and a life. And his name is Jesus. And he did it. And as he gives us the opportunity to receive it, because the invitation is to whosoever, we find ourselves in that place of perfection. It's an amazing trade-off. He who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Not my righteousness, his righteousness. When I go before the throne of God because I'm invited in to come boldly, confidently, it's not because of the righteousness of Steve. It's because I'm standing in the righteousness of Jesus, that he's traded me for my depravity and sin and unrighteousness. Who'd make a deal like that? A loving, gracious, sovereign God who wants my soul with him eternally who wants your soul with him eternally. He initiated it, right? These are the confidences we need to have as we go through trials and struggles and the hardships of life where God is teaching us and God is drawing us and looking to have us look more to him in faith. We, we need to have that assurance of the Holy Spirit, right? He, so he's got these, 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 he's baptized us, right? And that, again, that word is not 
It, it doesn't equate to baptizing us in water, which some do play off this scripture and say, see, you got to be baptized to go to heaven. Got to dunk you. Well, if that was true, then that's a work of the flesh. What this word is used the other time for in scripture is the washing by the water of the word. Again, have you let God's word wash you, cleanse you, transform you, renew your mind to its thinking? We need to be about it. If this is all you're getting is Sunday, and then maybe you stop by on Wednesday once in a while, you ain't going to get it. Right? It is a relationship. It's not a religion. That's not one of the R's here. <laughs> it's not religion or ritual. or it, it, It's all about relationship. It's about regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The word regeneration, it's made up of two words. Pelon in the Greek, which means new or again. And Genesis. Genesis? You mean like in the beginning Genesis? Yeah. It means origin or birth. It means new birth. Born again. Same thing in John chapter 3, verse 3, that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, who was a church official, coming to him at night and going, so how does this work? We, we know you're of God, but this is like, I got to know the way in. He said, you must be born again to be able to see the kingdom of God, to be able to see it now in life, because the eternal life we walk in, you know, isn't just like long life. Like, I can't wait to get to eternal life. No, you're in eternal life right now. It's a quality of life. It's life abundant that he's given us. That's why I say you should be walking in it now. Not waiting to die. And it's like, whoo, then I get to live eternally. No, it's a, it's a quality of life. Because who wants to live eternally like this? Right? A 58 years old body. No, thank you. Please. I'm looking for quality. But right now, I get to his spiritual eyes, see the quality he's creating in my spirit life. Walking with Jesus. That's what it's supposed to be about. Being born again. How do you do that? John chapter 1, verse 12 tells us, As many as receive him, receive Jesus, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. To those who believe in his name, I believe in your name, Jesus, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You've got to be born again of God. Not, not of the flesh. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it to heaven by just what I do. Uh-uh. Not by the will of man. I'm just going to follow rules. Got to follow some regulations. Got to do some ritual stuff. And then I'm supposed to make it. No, not going to happen. Well, I, 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 I was born. Doesn't that just kind of kind of morph me into eternal life and everybody kind of ends up happy because I was born of blood? No. As many as receive him because it's only the purity of God's blood that can remove our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. God makes that clear. That's why he set up a, uh, an animal sacrificial, sacrificial system back in the Old Testament. It was like, we just want to kill animals? No. I want to show you what it costs. It costs life for you to have life. And there was no animal blood that could remove our sin. Covered it, covered the Jews for a while, but they even have to come to the understanding of the purity of God's blood being the only pureness that could make us pure in our defilement. It's his blood. That's why it is about receiving him. You receive him by faith, and then that faith should expose itself with good works. Then we do good works because we have obtained salvation. Not for salvation, but because we've obtained it by his grace, by faith and believing, right? Just asking for forgiveness and receiving then the pureness that Jesus has. The moment you do that, you are then, what the Bible says, is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, you received him, he has come into you, he is dwelling now in you by his Holy Spirit, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things are new. And that is the renewing there that he's talking about, right? 
that we also are re- are being renewed. The renewing, and it's in the present tense. It's a going forward, right? The word means renovation. I know you guys all watch those home improvement shows, and they take ugly and they make beautiful. You know, we all go, "Wow, I'd love to live there and stuff." Well, it's no different with us. It is a under construction all the time process called sanctification. Now. Some people will teach you that once you were born again, you were then sanctified, you're set apart, and it's a done deal. Well, in God's economy outside of time, it is. We're home in heaven already, sanctified, glorified. Everything's a done deal. But for me, in this fleshly body, still having to make choices daily to sacrifice it and live according to his new life, it's a process of going through So don't get frustrated with it, but believe what he says. You are a new creation and you've been given all things to be able to walk in victory through it. If you think somehow you've been shorted up, you know, God was on coffee break when you were getting the empowerment thing, then you'll walk in that kind of discouragement all the time. You must believe what the word says apart from your feelings or your emotions and how this world will beat you up about them. Because Satan, that's his playground. Right? He doesn't know the future, but he knows you. He's been watching you your whole life. And he knows what gets at you. And he knows what derails you. And he knows what stumbles you. And every once in a while, he brings it around, doesn't he? Do you battle it with the word of God? Just like Jesus did in those days of temptation. Right? That's what you've got to throw at him. It, it is an ongoing process. 2 Corinthians 4.16 reminds us that even though this outward man is perishing, and I get an amen from the old people here, right? The outward man is perishing, yet inward, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Old body breaking down, spirit man growing more and more confident in the hope that Jesus has given me by his spirit. That's the trade-off. This process working out, right? And it transforms us daily. And it's just the truth. Some, you know, some things that you're set free from are easy. Easy things to be set free from. I'm just, I'm not going to steal anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to curse anymore. Something, you know, I don't know. I don't know what your thing was. Other things need to be, you need to be, I need to be broken free from. Because they're strongholds. There are things that have been there since I was a kid. There are things that are there because of how I was affected or treated or called or whatever as a kid. And God needs to transform my mind beyond them, empower me beyond them by his word, by his spirit. That's what it's talking about, right? This, the idea of, of, of the spirit speaking to us and Bearing witness does it, it says in Romans, that his spirit bears witness to our spirit that we're his. Because it gets hard sometimes, stumbling and falling in those same sins that I already asked for forgiveness for. And why am I here again? Well, why are you there again? You know, are you seeking that sanctification assurance that he's given us? Not putting pressure, just saying what the word says to me. And how I need to be working for that. You know, that's where my heart intent needs to be. It says that he has poured out abundantly on us this life. The word abundant, it means richly. It means richness in Christian virtue and eternal possessions. In other words, it's, we're heirs, so it, it's all there for us. He hasn't held stuff back. He's given us everything as joint heirs with Jesus Christ to be able to have his victory. These are things I have to walk in absolute assurance of. One of the things that he's given us there, as it says, is he's justified us by the Holy Spirit. The word justification means innocent. Now, again, I, a lot of times when I say justification, I'll say, it's just as if you never did it. You know, and, it, and it's like, that just sounds so light, you know. But no, the truth is, right? You're justified in Jesus Christ. It is as though... You have never sinned, never, never completed the sin. You are washed white as snow, scarlet made white, all the things that God said. There's reasons to gather, man. I am making you so pure and holy. It's as if you've never committed anything wrong. That's where you stand before him in Christ. Do you think about that when you go? Or is there this shamefulness 
of, of something that's happened again. To God, it hasn't happened again, because remember, when he removes the sin, when you confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive it, and to remove, depart the unrighteousness from you. First John 1, 9. Right? So it's gone. So when you come back and you go, I'm sorry again, he goes, what do you mean? I don't remember that. Let's just deal with what you came here today for. Forgive me. Done. Paid for. The blood has covered you. That's where you stand. And that's how easy it is. Remember David's sin with Bathsheba and, and Nathan is like, oh, David, like, it's you, man. You're the man. And David's like, oh, no, I have, I really messed up. It's, it's over. And he says, no, David, your, your sins are forgiven you because you've confessed. Fortunately, there's consequence because you shouldn't have gone down that road. But it's good with God now because of where you've come and brought your heart. That's what we're supposed to be about daily. Right? The richness, man, that we are, we're justified. Again, it's because he who knew no sin took our sin upon him. That now we are called heirs, joint heirs with Christ. It says this in Romans. And if children, if we're children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, though, here it comes, this is not in your bread loaf of promises. If we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together got to suffer. If you are, as Paul is telling Titus to tell his congregation that I'm telling you this morning, living a life that exposes your faith by the works, the good works that you go out into this culture to do, you will be exposed as being different, weird, oh, special people, right? And that's going to bring persecution. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer Persecution, Another promise we don't like in the bread loaf. You will. Because you're peculiar. You're not acting like everyone. Now, there was a time in this country, I was kind of old enough, or I was young enough, to remember it when you didn't get called out for doing good stuff. Now, you literally get called out for doing good stuff. Why are you doing that? Who cares? Like, why would you bother? Really? Like, all right, that's just... They don't understand. They shouldn't. Because the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit. They are spiritually discerned. So again, remember, you were once there. Have compassion. Move forward. But we are joint heirs with Christ. And all of this available to us is the sonship, the daughtership that we receive because we are now eternal beings, right? And if you're not experiencing that solidness of life, then ask yourself, do you have relationship with him? Does his spirit dwell within you? And if not, let's take care of it. Let's take care of it this morning. Just like David, I have sinned. You will be forgiven. Confess it. And Jesus is waiting. Absolute. Right? Okay, we got to move. Uh, where are we? Oh, verse 8. This is a faithful saying. What all that means is, hey, listen up. Okay, this is important. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So again, he's telling the Cretans, he's telling those that are creepy that are now saved and they are not the same people they used to be, that we need to be about good works. And affirm this constantly. In other words, it should always be part of my preaching, my teaching, or my testimony. That we now, because we know Christ, are always to walk in these good things. So again, it should be that same for you. That it's not about having to do and following rules it's about making sure that we walk in the goodness, you know? That, that since we have believed in God, and he specifically says that, right? Since you believed, affirm these things constantly that you believe. And be careful to maintain good works. So he's literally telling us to keep those things to mind. That's what the word be careful means. It means exercise thought towards and practice them. When I get hired to do a commission piece... I think about that piece of art a lot. I have thought towards it. 
because I want to please the one who's asked me to do this piece. So I'm very much thinking towards it. I will actually practice and do a little sketch and do a, a they, that some people call it a preliminary or a rough or a mock-up, and, and, and I will practice what I'm going to do. And prayerfully, that's what makes my art successful. That's what makes my work acceptable is I put thought towards it. Well, we're supposed to be doing that too. Not just like, oh my goodness, I remember having this one woman once in Blue Island, she was in children's ministry, which means she served in children's ministry, and I'd see it, hey, see you tomorrow, you know, at church, I'd see her on Saturday sometimes, you know, see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Does that mean you are helping or you're not helping or... I'm trusting God to lead you because you did commit to that, right? And that's what it's saying. It's like, man, get in there and be thoughtful towards what you do for the Lord. What are you called to do? Who are you called to speak to? Who does he bring before you? The providences of God? Think about those things. Be purposeful with them. Not just, you, you, you know, spot be scattered here and there, you know? No, be about it. But, and again, that, again, that sharp contrast, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person person is warped and sinning, self-condemned. This is one of those verses that almost sounds unchristian. Well, let me tell you, if you practice it, you will be accused of being unchristian, right? Because it's actually telling us to avoid, and the word avoid, it means to turn away from, and basically, like, they can see the back of your head, you know, because you're not going to deal with it anymore. And this is what he's saying here. There are those that come in that want to cause division. You go, well, I thought we were supposed to defend the faith and fight the good fight, and, and that, we, we, you know, we're supposed to give to every man an answer that asks. Yes, you are. But you also have to realize that there are those, as Miss Pam says so politely in her southern accent, leeches that will suck you, suck the time right out of your life, you know, and they just, they just, they just takers. I don't want to get southern voiced here, but, you know, I'm not a southern preacher. But the idea that we are also called to redeem the time because the days are evil. And those are those men and women that will come into your life. They've come into the church before. They have an agenda. They want to um, preach their end times philosophies and they'll take people aside after, and you know, I've had this happen before after church. And well, let me tell you what this really says. You know, he kind of got it wrong right here because this is really what that word in the Greek and the higher tense and the, you know, and it's like, hey, you know what? We're here for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. And if you want to have these kind of arguments, you really need to take it to another fellowship. We've had to ask them to leave. Now, it's very rare, and again, it's after the first and second admonition, which means that you go to them and you give them that chance to repent, to be corrected, to walk in unity that we're told to strive by the Spirit to maintain, right? But there are those people that just want to waste your time talking about nothing. And people are dying, perishing, while they're doing it. And see, Paul is talking about us being about our Father's business, going out and really being witnesses. He says, they're, they're morons. That's literally what the word foolish means. And it's morose, which is where we get our word morons. It's stupid. They want to talk about stupid stuff. They argue, they, you give them an answer, and all they do is argue your answer back. I thought you were asking something sincerely. No, I just want to argue with you this point. You know, Once you're saved, are you always saved? Or were you never really saved? Really? How long has that argument been going on? And yet, it's, it's sovereignty of God that we fall under always. He's the one that makes those decisions. Now, genealogies, we don't have to worry about. Nobody's in here trying to prove what tribe they came from, right? But I've had plenty of people try to give me their qualifications because of what denomination they came from and what seminary they went to and what their uncle does in the church and what their cousin is to somebody that's in there. And then they ask me what I am. I'm like, you know, I'm an artist and I flunked algebra and so they sent me to a skill center. And (laughs) then I got saved. And 
What do you say? Contentions. They want to debate. Well, what about those gifts of the Spirit? What about the baptism? Now, you you got it baptizing. Do you fully submerge or do you sprinkle? Do you go forward or do you go back? Do you do it in Jesus' name or the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? We had this guy in Blue Island. I just loved Eddie. Eddie was just one of those every other you know every other word's a curse word. Worked in the factory, big husky, you know, black guy from the south side. And Eddie'd come in and he'd have his his chain bling on, you know, he'd have the big diamond cross, and he'd have the hat with Jesus and you know rhinestones, and he was just a, a soulful brother, you know. And, and and he would go back to the south side and he'd sit outside and he'd he'd be witnessing to all these guys and they'd just go, What's that church getting you for? And I'd be like, what? And he's, what that church getting you for? Because it was they were so used to their churches playing them. Like you got to give so much money and you got to do so much stuff and you got to have it this way or you ain't making it to heaven. And he's like, they don't ask me for nothing. But Eddie, man, his his body was wrecked. The guy was probably two hundred pounds overweight and just had a hard life. And so when he got saved and went to get baptized, there was no way we were getting him in that doughboy pool, right? <laughs> So we grabbed a bucket of water and dumped it over Eddie's head. <laughs> Amen in Jesus' name. Right? And that man walked in truth and love for the rest of his life. You know? And I will see him in heaven. Right? I just love it. But there would be people, that's not right. That's not, no, you can't do that. That's, you, you can't bucket baptize. I don't know. I don't know. But they just want to strive about things from the law. You know, should women's heads be covered? Should men's heads not be covered? And then we get into all this stuff. And it's like Paul says, it's unprofitable. It's useless. It's vain. Because he'd have our lives to be witnesses. So reject such a person. The word reject, it literally means avoid, shun, turn away from. Right? From the divisive man. Now that word divisive, it means heretic. So a heretic is a special kind of divisive person. Because that's a person who knew the truth, walked in it with you at one time, and then now has chosen to walk away, chosen to follow a different path. We all have those. You've gone through Ignite with some of them, right? We all went through the same teachings. We, We all experienced God's miracles. We all have opportunity that was supernatural and fulfilled by God's spirit. And now they're divisive. Now they would seek to turn others away from what God would want to do in their lives and the truth. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Scripture says they're warped. It, it means they're, they're twisted. Literally, it means inverted. Now, I have an app on my computer. I use it once in a while, right? And it's when something's black and I want to make it white, I invert it. They were once white and now they're black. They've switched. They've changed their mind. And so after you've talked to them, after you've gone to them once, twice, avoid them. Don't be derailed by them or hurt by them. They have made choices. Now, God's going to deal with them. One thing I've seen with my father is he don't give up. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. His long-suffering, amazing in my life, I know it'll be amazing in other people's lives. But I have to watch my heart and my spirit that I don't get discouraged or derailed because of their spirit now in the church. And as an overseer, now take it back to the pulpit, the pastor stage, right? I have to make sure that it doesn't affect you. So I am responsible, as Pastor Michael is, to go after and go, thank you, we're done. I don't need to walk in that room anymore. And he's so right. And he's so biblical in doing it. I want you to understand that you have that biblical right, privilege, responsibility also. Because in that rejection, it's like when Paul said of the young sinner in in Corinth, you know, that was sleeping with his mother-in-law. He's like, get the guy out of the church. Paul's like, I don't even need to be there. Get him out. Right? Let Satan have his way with him, that his flesh might be destroyed, but his spirit saved. In other words, it's like, man, when people want to walk in that kind of sin... Let them have their way out there that they might then, as it goes downhill, which it will, because it's against God and against his purposes, they'll look back and go, like the prodigal son, come to their right mind and go, wait a minute, 
can I just come back and, and sweep the floors? And the church says, buddy, just come back. We will love you. You are part of this fellowship again. Thank you. Thank God that you have come back to the light, right? And that's what it's supposed to be. So watch that because there's always those that are divisive and they are rejecting truth. And that's, we'll just wind it up now. He says, when I sent Artemis to you or Tychicus, when I send them, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Now, Paul's got a little R&R going on. I just want to throw that out there. Okay, it's not a bad thing. I've got a couple pastors here on some R&R. It's a good thing, right? That you just take that time. And you've left guys in charge back there. And that's exactly what Paul's doing. He's like, Artemis and Tychicus, when they get there, you come to me. Let them take over. Send Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may be lacking nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. And, and it, it, that's more the focus. I mean, Zenos, and we don't know anything about him other than he's a lawyer. And, you know, Paul had some prison time, so I'm sure he had a friend in there. But the, the idea of, like, let all our people. So now Paul is talking to all Christians. It's not just the Cretans. It's not just where Titus is ministering, but make sure that all believers now get this. We are to learn to maintain good works, not just spotty application sometimes, and I did something nice today for somebody, but maintain those good works and to meet urgent needs. In other words, you don't take six months and pray about it. Nothing wrong with prayer. It's just that if the Lord lays something on your heart about what you're supposed to be doing, be about it. You see how he's trying to like wrap all this up to say, it's about the focus of the works that we now do on this side of salvation. Works as testimonies to others and works that we might not be unfruitful. You do have an account in heaven and God's keeping track of it. And he's Jewish. He's a good bookkeeper. And I heard that joke once. It was good. But the idea that we are supposed to be fruitful to be witnesses unto him that we would have supernatural, abounding fruit that people would go, wow, where did that come from? Or how did that unfold? And then you get to glorify your Father who's in heaven because you know it ain't you. Why? Because you used to be of the same kind of fool, (laughs) disobedient, deceiver, self lusting, pleasure-seeking, life of malice, envy, hateful, hating person. But God. But God. So, as we wrap it up, let's all keep that in mind as he just closes out. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. There's his, his conclusion always. Paul brings faith. Paul brings grace. Paul brings love because he knows that's what redeemed his life. He's saying to all of us, remind each other all the time. It's what redeemed your life and have works that are worthy of that salvation. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. It is a reminder we always need because Lord daily, the flesh seeks to regain its throne. And yet by your spirit, you tell us we have the victory to walk in these truths that we would bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold, Lord, for your glory and for your kingdom. So, Lord, as uh, we might recognize failings and falterings in what you've asked of us and what you've revealed to us, may this morning that heart that feels at all convicted just repent. Lord, confess that sin to you as you then promise to be faithful and just and to forgive and to remove that unrighteousness, Lord. And for the person who sits here this morning and says, I, I, don't, I don't hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to me. I don't know that I'm a son. He hasn't bared witness to me that I am, that, Lord, I'm, I'm your daughter now. And if that's you this morning, then let me tell you, as I am charged to do with authority, that if you will confess your sin, your need for Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, if you will receive him, invite him into your life now to govern and to submit to him, 
He says he will come in. You will not be ashamed. And in every way, he will now take your life on a supernatural journey with his spirit living in you. It's promises he's given us. And no man will be put to shame. No woman put to shame that calls upon the name of the Lord. You will be saved. It is as easy as it sounds, and yet the challenge is leaving self behind and giving God the one thing he'll never violate, your free will. He asks, he offers, you have to receive, you have to surrender. That's the joy, that's the trade-off, that's the challenge. Amen. Father, if there be any heart this morning here that needs yet to know you, may they right now call upon your name, Jesus, repent of their sins, and receive you as Lord and Savior. May you now fill them with your Holy Spirit. Dwell within them that they might know that they know that at this day you called upon their name. They've answered and now find themselves, Lord, renewed, Lord, regenerated, birthed again into your family, your kingdom, for your glory. Because, Lord, it is to show your grace to us. And we thank you with grateful hearts that you've spoken to us and chosen us. And may we now have all works that, Lord, expose that, reveal that to this world who also needs to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.